Oh, thanks, Tim. Wake you up a little bit. That's a good thing. As you uh, will, will you turn with me to uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you'd like, I'll invite you to stand as we honor God's Word and we receive this Word together. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. May God add his blessing to his word, please. You may be seated. Well, this morning we come to the third appearance of an angel in the Christmas story. The story of the uh, angel's appearance to, of course, Joseph the carpenter. Now, we've seen over the last several weeks that angels play a special part in the coming of the Messiah. The first week, Pastor David took us through the message of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah the priest as he ministered and performed his duties in the temple. The angel came and announced that he would give birth, he would have a son and who would be the forerunner of the Messiah and his name would be John. Then last week we noted that six months later the angel Gabriel again encountered a young virgin named Mary in the town of Nazareth. She too would have a son and he would be called the son of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. 1 Peter 1.12 says that angels long to look into the mystery of the gospel of salvation. Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? But you know, when it comes to angels, we have to be careful. Today, it's not uncommon to hear about angels. They, they are fascinating to us in our culture. But I want to remind you that Colossians 2, verse 18, reminds us to be careful of the study of angels. It says there, Paul writes, Do not anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what, about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their spiritual, by their unspiritual mind. In other words, what Paul was saying there is not everyone who claims a connection to angels is legitimate. Angels are not to be worshipped. 
They are not to be the focus of our spiritual pursuit. For instance, I I remember seeing a talk show not too long ago where a woman claimed to be able to see and talk to everybody's guardian angel for a small fee, of course. And she could describe to you your own personal energy field and tell you its aura and its color and give you a message from the angel. What a joke. Heresy is often an exaggeration of a biblical truth. But now we see an angel encounter the young carpenter Joseph. Joseph is, I think, often the forgotten person surrounding the Christmas story. The Bible never mentions animals in the stable. They are the product of legend and logic. Yet in some ways, the sheep and cattle often get more attention than Joseph. I mean, look in your hymnal today. Almost in vain, there's no reference to to Joseph. In, In story and art and song and sermon, Joseph is often the one who gets the the short end of the stick. He's a man with often minor credits. Now, one of the reasons for that, it seems to me, is if you study the, the life of Joseph, you will never hear him say a word. It's interesting. In all the scripture... When we have the stories of Joseph, he never utters one syllable that's recorded. And so I safely believe that we can assume that it was probably a man of few words. I I, I think there are probably many men, maybe right here, who can relate to that. Truth is, some of the greatest men I know don't have much to say. And yet Joseph's actions spoke so loudly that he didn't have to say much. What we see, of course, as we study his life is a man of high character and remarkable obedience. And as we examine the message of the angel angel to Joseph, we see God's plan of salvation unfolding in his home. And my prayer this morning is we will see that that same plan of salvation unfolding in your home too. When we meet Joseph... Let's face it, he's, he's facing an incredibly difficult dilemma. The angel comes to him in a dream, but one imagines he has been having quite a bit of trouble sleeping. You see, as you know this story, he was engaged to marry a girl who has gotten pregnant, and he was certain that he was not the father. Now, how Mary showed, shared that news with Joseph, I don't know, But I think we can presume that she kept on insisting that an angel had appeared to her saying that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so imagine that moment. There were tears and anger, betrayal, broken trust, disillusionment, Mary pleading. But Joseph did not believe that story. You would have not believed that story either. There are certain stories that are just hard to believe. A man walks into a tavern and notices another man with a big orange head. He asks the the bartender, what's the story with this man with a big orange head? I don't know. You'll just have to ask him. So the man walks over to the man with the big orange head and says, hey, if you tell me the story of how you got your big orange head, I'll buy you a drink. Well, the man with the big orange head says, okay, well, 
One day I was walking along the beach when suddenly I found a lamp. I picked it up and rubbed it, and the genie popped out and said, I'm going to grant you three wishes. So I thought about it, and I said, I wish for a million dollars. And voila, a million dollars, poof, right there, right in front of me. Wow, said the other man, that's really cool. Then I said, well, I wish to be married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And then the wind begins to blow, the waters part, and wouldn't you know it, this beautiful woman steps out of the ocean. Amazing, said the other guy. But tell me, how did you get your big orange head? Well, I think that's where I went wrong. I said, I wish for a big orange head. Now, that is not a, uh, uh, that was supposed to be funny. Um, <laughs> that is my son's favorite joke. Micah, who is back from college uh, this weekend, dared me to tell that joke. <laughs> now I know why maybe he was daring me to it. I thought that was hilarious. But now that I've told it, I get something special for Christmas, okay? So uh, it may have cost me my job, but uh, otherwise I think I've, I've, I've done that. Some stories are hard to believe, and Joseph is one of these guys that is not going to believe Mary at all. I'm sure that he had believed uh, in Mary's integrity. He believed in her faithfulness. But now... She's pregnant. He knows that he's not the father. And what's worse is she has lied about what happened. If you've ever been disillusioned by someone, maybe you can have a little empathy with Joseph here. Has anyone ever broken your trust? Joseph had to be heartsick. He was hurting. Imagine, if you will, the the, the thoughts that raced through his mind. There were the thoughts of revenge. I mean, can you imagine Joseph walking around Nazareth wondering who the, the guy was? You, you see the engagement in ancient times is much more binding than, than we know engagements to be in our own. Although the couple did not live together, they were practically considered to be married legally. The only way a relationship could be dissolved through, was through a legal decree of divorcement. The Old Testament, in fact, gave, the, uh, per, gave Joseph the right to disown Mary. And in fact, stone her if he so desired for adultery. I wonder if during that dilemma, Joseph didn't read Proverbs 6, verse 34, which says, Jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy. But notice Joseph's restraint. Joseph's sense of reason and compassion prevailed, and he decided to just distance himself from Mary. He decided to just kind of walk away and try to rebuild his life. He would quietly divorce her, the Bible says, and he would try to move on. Now, notice that Joseph did not get spared heartache and difficulty. God did not spare him this pain of walking this journey. Even though Joseph and Mary were called to be parents of the Son of God, they would face much difficulty. You know, when God calls us to do something, it's true that God doesn't always make it easy for us. 
Joseph's heart is hurting, and he is finally able to get some rest. And wouldn't you know it, that night he is interrupted by an angel who appears to him in a dream. Now, the first thing that I noted when I started thinking about this story is that this, this appearance is different from the other two that we've seen in at least two ways. The first one is that we don't know the angel's name. In the other encounters, we know that it was Gabriel who, who, who came to Mary and who came to Zechariah. But here we don't know. It might be Gabriel, but we're not told. Second, the angel appears in a dream. The other two occasions, the angel appeared while they were wide awake and there was some dialogue going on. But there's no such discussion here. Now, I want to just stop right there and say, you know, I think we need to be very careful about interpreting dreams as spiritual experiences. I think even more so, you need to be doubly careful when others say that they've had a special revelation through a dream for you. God is very capable, if he so wills, to appear to you and show you his direct will for you if he wants. So many times, dreams are not messages from God at all. They are just the mind at work. I have had some strange dreams over the years about preaching, for instance. I, I have, and this is a recurring dream. I have this dream where I stand up in front of the church and I don't have a sermon. Somehow I forgot it was Sunday morning and I'm standing up here and I've got nothing to say. I try and nothing comes out. And it occurred to me, some of that, that might be your dream too. You, you could just go home and we'd be done. I've had another dream and this has happened several times, I guess, across the years, where I am standing up here and I don't have a shirt on. And that is not a pretty sight either. The, the other dream that I've had, I had a dream that there are about five people in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning and they're scattered as far apart as they possibly can be. Now, that is not a dream that suggests that God is trying to speak to me. I think they're just reflections of my subconscious fear. I always want to have something to say. I don't want to look foolish. I wonder if anyone will follow or show up on a Sunday morning. I, I had a strange dream that I told a joke and no one laughed recently. And <laughs> wow, that was bad. <laughs> for, for Joseph, the dream was so real, so vivid, he just knew it was from God. An angel had spoken to him. And you never, you never seen doubt what he had come to know. Even when he was headed to Bethlehem and there's no room for him in his hometown, we never seen him sitting on the side of the road doubting what God had spoken to him, wondering if it was the fish he had had the night before. Now, when we come to what the angel said, the angel makes several announcements to Joseph. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, of course, I think Joseph was afraid. 
How could he ever trust her again? If this angel had not given him this supernatural revelation, he might have been afraid of disease. Who knows where she had been? He certainly would have been afraid of people's reactions. It would not just be Mary who would become the victim of accusing fingers. It would be Joseph, too. His whole carpentry business was built on integrity. But don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the angel said, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She's been telling you the truth, Joseph. Believe her, support her, protect her. She needs you. Joseph, you are privileged to participate in the most momentous, marvelous thing in all of history. And so you're going to have to live with the snide remarks and the mean-spirited innuendos because it's not really your reputation, it's not really your ego that is the most important thing here. Joseph, this child is going to be the son of God. And that truth will bubble up in time. And so the first instruction that Joseph is given was to take Mary as his wife. He was to support her, love her, and protect her. And men, that is so instructive for us today. Dr. J.C. Hobbs writes, He identified himself with her condition. He bore her shame as his own. The neighbors would gossip. The stigma of fornication would fast its stinging fans, fangs in Mary's heart, but it would strike him also. Under the lash of public scorn, Mary's tender flesh would quiver. But always between her and the lash stood Joseph. What a beautiful picture of the covering as men we are to provide our wives. What's more, Joseph was told that he would become the father to the son of God. Men, can you imagine that assignment? He was to be a husband, but he was also in that moment called to be a father. In my office for years now, I have had a picture hanging I bought this picture shortly after my first son, Caleb, was born. I now have three boys, of course, who are now young men, all of them in college, coming home for Christmas. It's, it's so exciting, but it always represented something very important to me, this, this picture. It, of course, shows Joseph doing his work at a carpenter's table with a carpenter's hammer. And then, of course, we see the toddler, Jesus, Mimicking his father, holding nails in his hands. The title of the painting is Destiny, as the shadow of a cross is made by the light coming from the window. And it reminded me of my challenge as a dad. It always reminds me that Jesus learned about bearing a cross from his father, Joseph. It reminds me that there's always a, there was always a little man watching after me. Psychology Today says that the most distant parent-child relationship in America today is the relationship between father and son. How many children don't even have fathers today? With the advent of so many single-parent families, I'm reminded this morning, maybe you, as an uncle 
or a friend or a grandparent can fill that void. Joseph chose to fill that void, and you can too. Joseph could have said, you know what? He's not my son. He's not my problem. But I don't think that's what happened in the carpenter shop of Nazareth. I think Jesus often fixed his eyes on Joseph and saw how he handled difficult customers, how he met deadlines. I think he watched the quality of his work. And when Jesus went off to preach, it was easy for him to say, you know, God is like a father, a heavenly father. The angel said, you are going to give him the name Jesus. Yahweh saves because he will save the people from their sins. Now, in America today, we we choose the name of babies because they sound good or they're popular. The hot names today I read are Austin and Tate for boys and Ada and Paisley for girls. It's kind of funny how these names work. It's it's funny to me. You don't have many Ednas anymore or Elmers. It's, It's the way it works. But But the Jewish people named their children for more significant reasons. The Jews would name a child, for example, to describe circumstances surrounding their their births. Esau meant redheaded. Jacob meant grabber because he, remember, he held the heel of his twin brother when he came out of the womb. Moses meant drawn out of the water. Isaac meant laughter because he was born to Sarah in her old age, and she laughed when she heard the news. Sometimes the names are given to to, uh, the child because of a parent's faith. You remember the story of Hannah. She wanted a, a son for so long. She prayed and she prayed, and then when he finally came, she named him Samuel, which meant asked of God. John meant Jehovah's gift. God even sometimes changed people's names because they were given a different purpose. And so Abram became Abraham, the father of many nations. Jacob became Israel, one who has wrestled with God and emerged victorious. Simon becomes Peter, which meant rock. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So the angel says to Joseph, his name will be Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Jesus means Yahweh saves. You see, my friends, Jesus came with a mission. He will be crucified on the cross. The kids sang it this morning. It was the cross that Jesus came for. The the, the cross gives the manger its ultimate meaning. So Jesus didn't just come to to be a cuddly baby. Jesus came into the world, in fact, not only to express that God exists and that God loves us, but it's more than a nice message. Jesus came into the world for the express purpose of dying on the cross and becoming the atonement for our sins. After Jesus was arrested, Pilate asked Jesus, you are a king? And Jesus said, You say I am a king, but for this purpose I was born, to declare witness to the truth. And the truth was, is that humanity is lost in sin. But God reached out to the lost of us, all of us, through Christ. Listen, 
If you ask most people today if they're going to heaven when they die, most people will give you this answer. I hope so. I sure hope so. But what do they mean by that? They, they mean that they've done enough bad things in their life. They know that they really don't deserve heaven, perhaps. They just hope that, that they've been good enough to somehow outweigh the bad in their life. The, the, the point is, when people say they hope they've done enough to be saved, they're acknowledging, yes, I have some stuff in my life, some sin in my life, and, and it has to be paid for. I, I need to pay off my sins, and so they try to do it themselves. I have to do enough to counter my bad deeds. But they think that they can be maybe good enough or keep trying but let me tell you this morning, the Bible is clear. I hate to break it to all of you, but you aren't good enough. But the Bible tells us about Jesus. Jesus was born to change all that. Jesus was good enough. Jesus was born to save you from the shame of your sin. Jesus was born to remove the guilt of your sin. Jesus was born to pay for your sin. In Jeremiah 31, 34, God promised that when we would be given this new covenant, he said, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isaiah 1, 18 promised, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that's exactly what John chapter or 1 John 1, 7 says. But if we walk in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Jesus did that by dying on the cross. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins. This morning, we have this hope that we have been saved, we have been redeemed, we have been rescued by what Jesus Christ has done. So the Christian message, the message of the angel to Joseph and the message of the angel to us this morning is, is that God sent his son to save the world. But it's more than that. Listen, the Christmas message is that God sent his son into the world to save you. We sing, O come all ye faithful. We began our service this morning with that. But in fact, the Christmas message, it seems to me, is, O come all ye faithless. O come all ye messed up. O come all ye who are weary and guilt-ridden and tired. Oh, come all ye who are defeated, come to Bethlehem. Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, for the broken. Listen, if your life isn't a perfect Instagram moment or isn't a perfect Facebook that gets all the likes, Christmas is for you. That's what this is about. You recognize 
that every gift that will be given this year, every gift that is wrapped is a symbol of the gift that God gave to you this Christmas. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. He gave you that gift. Now, here's the key. You have to accept the gift. This morning I ask you that question. Some of you have heard it for years, and maybe still you've never said yes. But Jesus Christ loves you enough. He is so patient. He is so good. He comes to us this morning, and through the message of the angel to Joseph 2,000 years ago, he says to us this morning, will you accept me into your life and receive my gift of salvation? That's what makes Christmas special. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray right now for every individual here to hear your voice. Father, help us to reflect on where we stand with you. Perhaps some in vain have been trying to be good enough. They work very hard, and maybe they have a pretty good reputation, and maybe they look pretty good on the outside. But this morning, you're showing them, Lord, that all their efforts aren't going to, to get them into heaven. It is by the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who came in such humility, who reaches out right now and says you can lay down all your goodness and all your efforts and all that weariness and all that shame and receive the gift that I offer. So Lord, for those of us who have received that, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for that person this morning who is making a decision that they would say yes to your gift and they would receive you and give you praise confess their need for you and that Lord they would then be given through the power and beauty of your Holy Spirit the assurance that they belong to you forever may this be their day and may this Christmas be so very very special we thank you for the gift of your son we glorify you and lift you up we pray oh God that he will come into us, and our world will be different. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing and respond to Jesus, the saving one. Jesus, Messiah. Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, 
Come that long expected Jesus. We hear the words of the angel and the prophet Isaiah. It says he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I thank you that you were not content to just be born in a manger, but it is your desire and intent to be born in our hearts. Would you truly be God with us this day? That your spirit would fill us up that we might bring testimony to the, to the love and the redemptive nature of the one that we follow. That, Lord, we would be a light into this world, that we would be an example, that others would see and long for and, and hope for this Jesus. Lord, make us like him. We go out now with a, an assurance of your grace, thankful for your pardon, encouraged in our walk with you, Lord, we thank you for the example of Joseph, who even in the midst of trial and difficulty chose to follow you, chose to obey. Lord, may we as men be godly fathers. May we as men provide a hovering of protection and, 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 and offer our very lives, Lord, to our wives. We pray this because of what your word tells us this morning. May we go forth in power and strength we pray this through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you.